Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Let me share with you a couple of things going on in our church. Uh, By the way, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 13 this morning. Uh, I I know Easter's coming up. In fact, next Easter morning, we're going to have three services, uh, 8.30, 9.45, 11 o'clock. Other people may be sitting in your chair next week. Let them have it, okay? (laughs) I told the first service, just don't be jerks, okay? Can you say that in church? This is, just be nice to each other. Sometimes we get cynical where these people aren't normally here. Well, they're here, so... Uh, also, just, just help out uh, on Sunday if you see somebody who looks lost, point them in the wrong direction, trick them, I mean, just give them a tough time. Let's be gracious host next week. So that's Easter Sunday. I also want to remind you of our service of darkness uh, this week, Thursday night, 7 o'clock here in this room. It's a very somber service, but before we get to the resurrection, we need to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, outreach luncheon, I want you to pay attention to that. The day after Easter, this is a great opportunity to serve those in our downtown community. And then I would encourage you to pick up some uh, Beatles cards next to our offering boxes uh, and invite people to be a part of the Gospel According to the Beatles that will start April 16th. And we've got the playlist on that, and we're just going to have a lot of fun with that. This is an easy ask for folks. Let me also encourage you this week on the back of your announcement sheet, we have an eight-day devotional that actually began this morning. Uh, A little devotional will be posted to our social media accounts, will be emailed to you if, if you're a member, if we have your email address. Uh, and I would encourage you just to watch that short devotional. It'll be posted every day at 5 a.m. And so you can watch that whenever you want to. But this is an opportunity to walk with Jesus through this last week of his life. And of course, we have that service of darkness in Easter times. You'll see that noted on here. This morning, we're, we're really at Tuesday, right? So Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, it's clear that Tuesday was a very heavy teaching day. And so what we're talking about today would happen on that Tuesday of the week before he is crucified. And this is Mark chapter 13. We're just going to read through this chapter this morning. Here we go. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. So this is the temple in Jerusalem, originally built by Solomon, being rebuilt by Herod. And the disciples look at this with patriotic pride and with a bit of of stability. Hey, look at the temple here. It represents the presence of God For them, that represented stability in a very uncertain world. And so I should ask the question here, where do you find your stability? And I'm going to go ahead and get to the punchline. If you put your trust, if you put your confidence, if you put your hope, if you gauge your stability on anything else other than Jesus, you will eventually be left down. Say, well, my stability comes from my family. Well, guess what? Your family may not always be here. There's a little thing called death that tends to take our family away. They say, well, my stability is in my job. Well, we all know jobs change. Well, my stability is in my economic condition. We know that can change overnight. Where do you find your stability? For the disciples, it was about religion. It was about look at these stones. What could possibly move them? Jesus says in verse 2, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be torn down. So as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and I need to give you the picture of this, Uh, Mount Zion, where where the temple resides, there's a valley called the Kidron Valley, and if you go up to the Mount of Olives, you're basically looking eye level with the temple. 
So Jesus crosses over this valley. He's talking with his disciples. And it's almost as though Jesus is saying, I want you to look at the present, but I also want you to see the future. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, Andrew asked him privately, tell us, you said not one stone would be left on another. When will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? So I don't want to be too technical here, but Jesus says these words in about 29 AD. By 70 AD, the Romans would come in and destroy the temple. Jesus was absolutely accurate in his prophecy about what the future would hold. Now, here's what I really need you to understand before we read the rest of this chapter. Jesus is about to talk about what we refer to as the little apocalypse. That's when the Romans would come in and destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD. But he's going to use that as a launching off point to talk about the final apocalypse, okay, when Jesus Christ returns. And it's appropriate, Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it's appropriate we talk about not his first coming, but his second coming, okay? So I really want you to get that. He's going to talk first about this little apocalypse, and then he's going to talk about the final apocalypse. But get this, it's not about when. The disciples said, when is this going to happen? Jesus is going to lightly address that at the end of the chapter, but his main concern is not when will this happen, but how should you live until this happens? How should you be living? Whether it's the tragedy that's going to happen this week or whether it's going to be the end of time when Jesus returns, how should you live? And I've encouraged you before, whenever you read the Bible, just look for words and phrases that repeat themselves that will generally point you in the right direction of what we need to pay attention to. So, verse 5, Jesus said, watch out. That phrase, or something like it, repeats seven times in this chapter. Uh, Verse 5, verse 9, verse 23, twice in verse 33, verse 35, verse 37. Watch out, be on your guard, be alert, watch. That's the main point. So whether it's the challenges we deal with this week or whether it's the coming of Jesus, here's how we are to live in the interim. We are to be awake and watchful. So I was getting on an international flight a few weeks ago. And you know how it is when you're on an international flight. You get there plenty early, got time to kill. So I was walking up and down the concourse, just kind of getting some steps in before we get on this long flight. And I see this lady come through pulling a bag behind her, which is not unusual, but it's not a bag with wheels, it's a bag you put over your shoulder, and she's just kind of stumbling along doing this. And she looks a little bit lost, a little bit disoriented. And so I see her, I didn't think much about it, but I continue to walk the concourse, and as we get closer to the gate, it looks like she's going to the gate for my flight. But she gets kind of close, and there's a huge column here. So she drops her bag, she starts looking in her purse for something, she leans against the column, and just slides down on the floor. And now she's on the floor. I mean, she didn't sit down. She just kind of slid down, okay? I don't know what to compare it to. It was just weird to see. It's like nobody else saw this. I thought, am I imagining this right now? So I go over. I'm used to dealing with weird people. I'm a pastor. So I go over, <laughs> and I said, ma'am, are you, are you okay? She goes, I'm looking for my ticket. Well, instantly. She's not having a medical event. She's having a chemical event called being drunk, Right? So she's like, I need to help with my ticket. So she pulled out her ticket. She said, this is my ticket? And I said, no, that's your receipt to Taco Bell. That's not your ticket. Okay. 
And so then another lady comes over and I said, I think she needs some help. She goes, I don't worry about it, that's, that's my sister. I go, dude, or lady, she's on the floor. You know, what's, what's going on here? So I went over and I talked to the gate assistant. I think they needed to help get her on the plane. You know, it's, I don't know if they would let you on the plane being that hammered drunk, all right? But what was astounding to me is that she was completely lost. She did not know where she was or where she was going. Is it too much of a spiritual leap to say that's the way a lot of us live? Not that you're hammered drunk. Hopefully you're not this morning, okay? But that most of us just kind of stumble around unaware, not sure where we're going or how we're ever going to get there. We're completely unaware. Here's what Jesus says. Wake up. Wake up. Pay attention to where you're going. Pay attention to who you are. Pay attention to whose you are. Pay attention to the world around you. And he says, I need you to watch out for three things. Here's the first one, back in verse 5. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Watch out for deception. Watch out for being deceived. We are called to be people who live according to the truth. Now, not many of us would look at somebody in our world today and go, oh, they're Christ. Christ has come back in that person, although some people do. If you've not watched the documentary on the 30th anniversary of the Mount Carmel Branch Davidian tragedy, that's well worth watching because here are people deceived that David Koresh was the second coming of Jesus. But not many people go down that road. We need to be careful that we are not deceived, that we don't let something else become more important than Jesus. Because we have a world of so many causes. Make sure your cause does not displace Christ. So here's what um, one writer, Randy Alcorn, says. Liberal Christians often end up being liberals first and Christians second. Oh, we want to say amen to that. But wait. And conservative Christians often end up being conservatives first and Christians second. We need to be careful that we don't put any qualifier before being Christian. Don't you think that the more complicated the world gets, the simpler we should become, and we should just follow Jesus. Don't be deceived. Keep your eyes on Him, okay? He said, watch out for that. Then, verse 7, and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You know, I remember after 9-11, I did have a conversation with a few members here saying, is this the end of the world? And my thought was, this has been happening for hundreds and thousands of years. It just happened to hit really close to home right now. These things are going to happen. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdoms, earthquakes, famines. This is the beginning of the birth pains. So there's a little island. If you go up the east coast of the United States, east coast of Canada, or Greenland, kind of you're way up in the Arctic Circle, there's a little island called Hans Island. It's a postage stamp of an island. You could walk across it in about 20 minutes, but it is a hotly contested island because Canada thinks they own it, and Denmark thinks that they own it, and they go back and forth. Canadian Navy will come along, they'll plant a flag in the middle of the island. A few years or a few weeks later, the Danes will show up. They'll pull up that flag, put down their Danish flag, and leave a bottle of Danish schnapps. See where this is going? 
Then a few weeks later, Canadians will show back up again. They'll take the flag and the schnapps. They'll put down their flag and a bottle of Canadian whiskey. And it's gone back and forth like this for years. Y'all aren't getting the kick out of this that I really thought you would. Yeah. Nation fighting against nation. Wouldn't it be great if it were all that simple? If all disagreements were that peaceful? But they're not. We live in a world that's doing this. And I grew up in a day where I remember the news came on at 6 o'clock and my dad would watch it one time in the evening. Now we are bombarded 24-7, push notices. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think if we're not mistaken, we start to get afraid. Jesus says, watch out for deception. He says, also watch out for disasters. It's going to happen. Don't lose your head over this. This is the way the world is. This is the way the world always will be until the return. And he's still talking about this little apocalypse, okay? There's going to be deception. There's going to be disasters coming, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Then he talks particularly to his disciples, verse 9, you must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to councils and synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings. Notice there's the religious and the political element here. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you'll say. Trust me. Say whatever I give you. It'll not be you. It'll be the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where it gets personal. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and be put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Jesus is telling his followers when this happens in Jerusalem, there'll be people who look at you and say, you are what's wrong with the world. You. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And it's not just these big forces of synagogues. It's going to be people within your own family. So here Jesus says, watch out. There's going to be deception. There's going to be disasters. Watch out that you don't get discouraged. Now, we're going to parlay all of this into talking about the big apocalypse, the final apocalypse here in just a minute. But isn't this a great way just to remember how to live on a day-to-day -day basis? Whatever you face this week. You're not facing the destruction of Jerusalem, but you're, you're probably facing a little bit of insecurity this week, I would guess. Don't be deceived. Remember who you are. Don't worry about disasters. Bad things will come and go. And most of all, don't get discouraged. So, the Amazon jungle, I was listening to a podcast two weeks ago. It's freaked me out. Amazon jungle is 1% of the Earth's surface but it contains 30% of the world's biodiversity. That means there's a lot of life in the Amazon that we've yet to discover. Some of it's really big. How many of you are afraid of spiders? You can't stand spiders. You might want to just plug your ears right now. There's what's called a Goliath bird eater. It is a tarantula that lives in the Amazon that is the size and the weight of a medium-sized puppy. Could you imagine this? And what's even worse, it has little hard things on the end of its legs, so it clicks as it, as it, this is like, this is like a bad Harry Potter thing become reality, right? So here's the deal, the Goliath anteater, you could pick it up and hold it in your hand. How many of you want it as a pet now, now that you know it exists? Every kid under 10 just shot his hand up, right? That's what I want for Christmas, Dad, all right? You can buy the Amazon uh, Goliath anteater on Amazon, I guess, I don't know. Hey, that was a dad joke. You gotta give me one in here, okay? Now you compare that 
to what's called the golden poison frog. It is beautiful. Bright gold, two inches. You want to hold it in your hand. It's so cute. But it has enough toxin in its skin to kill ten grown men. The Goliath anteater can't touch you. It's not interested in devouring you. It's safe. This little frog will get you. It's often the big things. We can handle the big catastrophes that come along because we trust in Jesus. But sometimes when we lose relationships, somebody hates you because you're following Jesus, it stings us to our core. Sometimes it's the little things that hurt the most. Jesus said, watch out for deception, watch out for disaster. But guard, here's the longest section, guard against discouragement. Now, he's still talking about the little apocalypse. He's still talking about what's going to happen in Jerusalem 40 years later. So here's one of those parts of Scripture that we read past it. We really don't understand it, so we just keep going. Stop. Verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, what in the world is this? This is actually a phrase that comes from Daniel 9, 10, and 11. This was a prophecy given about 400 years before Jesus by Daniel. It would be fulfilled about 200 years later, 200 years after Daniel, but also 200 years before Jesus. Here's what Daniel was prophesying and actually what came to pass. The Greeks came in to Israel, the remnants of the empire of Alexander the Great, and they started taking over everything, divvying everything up, and to desecrate the temple the Greeks came into the temple and they slaughtered, they sacrificed a swine on the altar in Jerusalem. Now, if you know Jews, they, that's an unclean food, and that was the worst thing that they could have done. The Greeks sacrificed a pig telling us they were Arkansas fans. So an Arkansas fan caught me between services and said, I'm surprised you didn't take a cheap shot at Arkansas. I didn't in the first service, but you're welcome. Here it is right here. Okay. They sacrificed a pig, an unholy thing in the holiest of places. Jesus says, it's going to happen again. By the way, the cleansing of the temple, that's where Jews get Hanukkah. When it was re-cleansed. Now Jesus says, this little apocalypse, it's going to happen again. Here's where you really need to pay attention. The Romans always came in with their standard of an eagle. You can kind of imagine the Nazis used the same iconography. And number one is idolatry to have that eagle, but also an eagle was an unclean animal in the Jewish dietary system. He said, so the Rome, Romans, with their unclean symbols and their unclean animals, are going to march into Jerusalem. Something unholy will be in the holiest place again. This is going to happen. So when the abomination that causes desolation, when you see it standing there, Mark puts a little parenthesis, do you get what I'm talking about? Then let those who are in Judea flee. Let no one in their housetops go down. Let no one in the field go back. How dreadful it will be for pregnant women nursing mothers. Pray that it will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning. When God created the world until now and will never be again. So verse 19 is where Jesus makes the shift. He shifts from talking about the little apocalypse. He says, I'm not going to tell you when this is going to happen, but I'm telling you how you should live between now and then. Now he shifts to talk about the final apocalypse. My mind is weird, but as I was reading through and praying through this, 
I kept having an old image come to mind, and it took a while for me to kind of pull it out of a memory way in the past. But I remember as a kid coloring a picture like this. I know you can't see this in the back, but I stayed inside the lines. Isn't that great? <laughs> so there'd be a picture like this that you would color, but if you can see, it's folded right here. And so it can be this happy little snail. I should have done um, a Goliath bird eater on here. Wouldn't that have been awesome? So it's this happy little snail, or when you open it up, all of a sudden it's this scary thing, right? So that was the image as I'm thinking through this. What Jesus does is he says, here's the little apocalypse. It's going to be big enough, but I want to unfold this for you, and I want you to see a much bigger picture. Now I'm not talking just about Jerusalem, not talking just about the temple. I'm talking about the whole world. Verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, anyone who says, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I know I'm repeating this a lot, but I really want you to see this. Jesus is talking about the little apocalypse, the little challenges we face. Don't be deceived. As he talks about the final apocalypse, he says the same thing. Do not be deceived. Don't put your hope in anything or anybody other than Christ. Just follow him. I was sitting across the table from a Christ follower about three years ago. And they looked me dead in the eye. This person is not a member of this church. They looked me dead in the eye. They mentioned the name of a political candidate, and they said, this person is the savior of America. My blood ran cold. And it is not about a political candidate because you can probably guess who was mentioned. This is not a political statement at all. This is a statement of faith or misfaith that we do not put our trust, we do not give divine or semi-divine status to anybody. We don't put our hope there. Our hope is in Christ and nothing more and nothing less. Just follow Him, okay? So, yes. So I have fun. I, I do a pastor's coffee once a month and it was this morning and I had a bunch of uh, charismatics in the group this morning and they, they, you know, people typically raise their hands. We're having a great discussion. And somebody said, uh, they said, well, I'm a European charismatic. And I, and I said, what does that mean? They said, that's charismatic with a seatbelt on. So you only go up, you know, this far. And I said, well, Baptists are charismatics with a straight jacket on. We don't, we don't do anything. We just kind of sit here. It's okay to clap. It's okay to feel something. It's okay to express yourself here, okay? If we can't do it here, where can we do it? If you were to call the hogs, you'd get a little pretty excited, right? Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Don't be deceived. We have one Messiah. And the more complicated the world becomes, the simpler our faith should be. Then Jesus says the same thing. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So you see he's doing the same thing. Don't be deceived, don't be deceived. There's going to be disasters. He says it here again in light of the big apocalypse. There's going to be disasters. And a lot of people are looking for astrological signs, but here's my best understanding of this. When it comes to prophecy, it's high on symbolism. 
Jesus, I believe, is not talking about the literal sun, moon, and stars. He's talking about the powers that be. Everything you think that the world gives stability through, all of those things are going to be washed away. So he's just saying the same thing. Here's how you should live through the little challenges and the big ones. Don't be deceived. There's going to be disasters. Verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. He came on a donkey the first time. He's going to return in glory the second time with great power. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Just, just know this. And I think of the words of Teresa of Avila. All will be well. All will be well. And all manner of things will be well. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree, verse 28. As soon as its twigs get tender, hey, it's springtime. Leaves come out. You know that summer's near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know it's near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away. Jesus is talking again about the little apocalypse until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This goes back to the stability issue. Where do you find stability? It must be in Christ. Everything else will let you down. Now, there's one more question or one more paragraph I want to deal with here. But about that day and hour, no one knows. So it's interesting when we deal with end times, the first question is, when? When is this going to happen? In fact, I remember there was a little book published in 1988, 88 Reasons That Jesus Would Return in 1988. You know, and it was a pamphlet that sold widely, and it was like, oh, this is the day. I think it was going to be in October. Uh, what I remember is that date, of course, came and went, because we're still here, right? And so my pastor at the time, he said, that afternoon, uh, I, was at, uh, I was at home by myself, and so I started, I called the church, and nobody from the church picked up. This is the day the rapture is supposed to take place, right? He said, and I, and I called my wife at work. She didn't pick up. And I called my friend. They didn't pick up. I was like, great, I'm left behind. I'm left behind, right? <laughs> we often worry about when, and Jesus is about to address this. If you're focused on when, you're focused on the wrong things. He doesn't talk about when this is going to happen. He says, you leave that to the Father. I'm not even concerned about that right now. I'm here to tell you how you should live in this moment. By the way, and I'll repeat this again at the end. When it comes to deception, we need to see through it. When it comes to disaster, we need to see beyond it. And when it comes to discouragement, we need to see Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. About that day and hour, no one knows. Not the angels, not the Son, only the Father. Be on guard, stay alert. You do not know when the time will come. So get rid of all those books that are worried about when. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge. By the way, that's Jesus leaving. He leaves us behind, each with their assigned task. That's us. And tells the one at the door, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you asleep. So what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch.
see through the deception, see beyond the disasters. When you're discouraged, see him. I have a friend who's a former NFL football player, and we were having lunch recently, and he said, I was not the best athlete. There were better athletes than me in the NFL when I played. He said, but I made it my goal to be the best conditioned athlete. There were other people who had better natural gifting, but I couldn't control that. What I could do is say, I'm going to be the best conditioned I can be. So here's what he told me. He said, I would say to my opponents mentally during a game, you might be better than me in the first quarter, but I'll be better than you in the fourth quarter. When all that natural gifting has kind of been depleted and there's no resilience there, Y'all are not loving this as much as I did. I mean, this, this really spoke to me. You may be better than me. You may be more gifted than me in the first quarter, but I'm going to be better than you in the fourth quarter. That's where conditioning comes in. As Christians, we cannot afford to be flabby. We can't afford to be just wandering through life. In order to make disciples, we need to wake disciples. Let's be awake and alert and aware. See through the deception. See beyond the disasters. And fix your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. Would you say that word with me? Hosanna. Hosanna. Lord, save us now. Stand with me. God, just maybe as the world gets more and more complex and more chaotic, we as your followers should just come down to some very simple things. That we listen to your voice instead of being deceived. That we see the end of the story rather than the present disasters and that we fix our eyes on Jesus rather than our own discouragement because there's a plenty that can take us there, but only a few people can be awake and alert and aware to know how we need to live in these times. Help us to be that kind of person. And so as the crowds welcomed you into Jerusalem, may again we welcome you anew in our lives, asking you to be our God, our Savior, and our stability. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.